Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be catching you up on what we've been reading lately. We've got a couple of book club books for us that have popped up that we've read in comments. We want to have a couple of spoilery discussions. Plus, we've got some exciting updates about Gail's news that she had shared a while back. So looking forward to getting into it with everyone. Gail, what have you been reading lately? Okay, so let's see. One book that I've finished is Hello Beautiful, which is a book that you also read recently. And we're going to share our thoughts on that book at the end of the show because it will be spoilery. So if you have not read it, then I would tune out when we get to the discussion, unless you don't plan to read it and are curious about it. But that is by Anne Napolitano, and it's a book about a, an, a, I guess, Italian family living in Chicago with four daughters. And it tracks them over a couple of decades as things happen to the sisters and, you know, they experience sort of ups and downs of life. So we'll save that discussion for the end. I also read a book called The Fake by Zoe Whittle. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing her name right. I don't know how I heard about this book. I put it on my library hold list. It came in and then I read it. So I, I don't even know how it got on my radar, but it's a book about, there's a woman living, I guess they live in Toronto, a woman who has, her wife has just died. And there's a man who's just gotten divorced. So you've got these two like vulnerable, sad, kind of at sea people. And the same woman enters both of their lives. One of the, a, a woman named Cammie. And she gets romantically involved with the man and she becomes good friends with the woman um, whom she meets in a grief support group. And things start to not add up. Like she says that she's recovering from cancer, that her sister died. And it starts to be pretty, become pretty clear that she's lying. Like the, the stuff that she's saying isn't true. And she's kind of ingratiating herself into these lives without being honest about who she is. So the book is really just about that situation, the kind of impact she has on these, t- these two people and what happens when they become aware that she's not necessarily who she says she is. I don't, I don't really know why I picked it up. It's a pretty short book. It's not, I don't know. It was fine. Like, I can't say I'm like heartily recommending it. It's the second book I've written by this author too. She wrote one called, I think the best kind of people, which I also thought was fine. I don't know. Probably I've, I've given Zoe Whittle like my, you know, as much, I probably won't pick up another one by her. So I, I don't know. I'm not trying to pan it because I, don't, I think I'd give it like a 3.5 or a four, but like it's, it was fine. It was not, I kind of got to the end and I was sort of like, well, what was the point? Like why, what was she trying to do with this story? Like, I'm wondering if she herself had at some point been taken in by somebody or, you know, had sort of been misled by someone because in her, at the end in her acknowledgments, she makes some vague reference to like finally learning the truth or something. So I'm, I'm just wondering if she had an experience where she was on the other end of that type of thing. It's Cause it just seemed like a sort of an odd, I don't know, an odd mission for a book. Does that make sense? Did you think it was, I'm so fascinated by you probably won't read her again, but you might've given it four stars. No, it's probably the three and a half. It's probably three and a half. Yeah, I haven't I haven't written my review yet. I haven't put it on Goodreads yet. So when I sit down and really think about it, probably because I'm going to look at the other books that I've given four stars to this year, and I don't think it'll compare. Like it's not badly written, and so I like was yeah, the writing was fine, and I was you know intrigued enough to finish it and see what happened. And it's not a very long book. I you know I, I read it. I just I don't know. Like I I, I guess my <laughs> feeling at the end was sort of like. What was, what was the, the point? point? What was the point? Like, why did I just invest, you know, X number of hours in that story? Like it was suspenseful in some ways, but you know, I don't want to give away the ending. So 
it was suspenseful. I just, I just am wondering like what prompted this author to write that book. And I'm curious, I'm curious. I might do a little research and figure that out. That is always my sign of the book did not do its job or was not, I would consider it almost not good just because I feel like when books are complete, you read them and you are into them and you understand what's going on and you don't really have too many questions, you know, like you might have, oh, I wonder why they did this here. wonder why they did this there. But it, if I come away from reading a book and I'm wondering why they wrote the book or what was the point, then I feel like that wasn't satisfactory for me. Right. I would like to know. Or if I have questions about why they, once I start asking questions about the author's motivations for doing certain things, then I feel like the book did not stand alone because now I'm looking for, well, why, like you said, well, why did you write this? What's going on in your life that this is what you've come up with? You know, it's almost like just looking for something. Yeah, I just, yeah, I think that's right. And I did read one other book and I wonder if this is a book that you would be interested in. So I read this book for two reasons. It's first of all written by a friend of mine. And secondly, it was relevant to a project I was working on and it's called the captain class. And it's a book about leadership and teamwork. And it takes a look at some of the teams over the history of sports, international sports. So, you know, everything from like rugby and cricket to soccer and, you know, basketball, like across the whole country and the whole world and spanning back many decades. And it looks at how extremely successful teams, like teams that are like freakishly good that have, you know, won multiple championships, uh, how, what do they have in common? Like, how did these teams differentiate themselves from other ones? You know, was it the quality of the players? Was it that there was like a single star? And the author was Sam Walker, who's a friend of mine. The author determines that what really sets these teams apart was the team captain. So it's the person who is the kind of leader of the team, not necessarily the best player on the team, not necessarily the most flashy or the person who gets the most attention, but it's the person who takes on the leadership captain role and really sort of cultivates teamwork among the team. And then looks at all of those captains to figure out what are the traits that make that captain special. Like, so, and then of course there's, you know, applications of all these lessons to contexts outside of sports. So business and management and I don't know, it's really interesting. I'm not really, I don't usually read like sort of businessy type books, but I thought this one was really good. Love the writing style. It was very like deeply researched, but it did not feel like tedious or anything. And if you like sports or interested in management or leadership, I think this could be an interesting book. Oh, so, that sounds really good. Does yeah, sound, I'd be interested in that. I think you would because it kind of delves a lot into the psychology of the leaders, and you know what, like what are the particular traits and like, you know what makes a leader effective. So I think you'd like that. So it's Captain Class by Sam Walker. Okay. How about so, you? So I just realized that I just read a book. I just finished a book that you also read, Counterfeit, so we can add that to the back of the show. Oh, nice. (laughs) That's exciting. But I I liked it. Good. And we can discuss more. So I also read, and I didn't like it that much, or I didn't completely love it. I read With My Little Eye by Jocelyn Jackson. Now, when I started reading Jocelyn Jackson, she wrote a lot of books that were I guess women's fiction and women topics, but they were kind of deeply written. They were set in the South. She really explored the dynamics between relationships and women leaving relationships and and gaining their own autonomy. And she has taken that up a notch or I don't know, the notch is a little different now because she's been writing like these really suspenseful novels. Like they live in the, in the subject matter that she used to explore, but it's just like, they're just ratcheted up a notch. And so I've read the two other ones and I think they're like based on nursery school rhymes or like nursery school sayings. Like one was mother may I, and what was the other one? It was like mother may I, and there was something else. I'll think of the name, but 
Now this one, you know, with my little eye is like from I Spy with my little eye. And it is about this woman who is, she's an actress in Hollywood. She has fled her first marriage for reasons that she'll go into. She has, she's adopted an autistic daughter who she's basically had since she's a newborn and she is being stalked. So it's all about her. She's kind of like on the cusp of when actresses, you know, reach their shelf life. She is saying that she's 39, but it looks like she's in her early forties, but this stalker has basically driven her from her home. So she moves back to her hometown of Atlanta where her ex-husband lives and starts, you know, tries to start a new life. She has a part on a new show, but as it turns out, the stalker has followed her to Atlanta and, you know, is like getting closer and closer on her. She's developed this relationship with a neighbor in the building. And she is also like kind of having second thoughts about someone who became her ex when she fled LA to go and to live in Atlanta. So I think the parts that were most compelling about this book was the mother-daughter relationship and just how they manage how they manage their lives, you know, her daughter adjusting to a new school and just like the, the sensitivities to that just because it takes her a long time to open up to people. She doesn't necessarily recognize people all the time. And she's just like completely out of her environment, you know, and how frustrating that is when you have picked up your life and moved across the country to only have the same problem emerge. What I didn't like about it is I really feel like she just kind of phoned in the bad guy. You know, we get these snippets of chapters that are from his perspective. And when I just say like they're basic, you know, they're denigrating to women, misogynistic, like, I don't know. I just feel like there could have been a little bit more finesse there. Not saying that, that, you know, men who are stalkers um, have to necessarily be polished, but I just felt like this character was just so, so crude. And just some of her relationship choices were questionable. Like there was just a lot going on in this book. That makes me wonder what happened. Like, did she need more time with this or what, what's going on? Her books are usually more well-reviewed than I have seen them. This particular one, like it's a, 3.36 on Goodreads, which I think is pretty low for her. Mm. So it's like parts of it I really liked and would recommend, but then other parts were just completely like, I don't know, so basic. I felt like I was reading, you know, those Mary Higgins Clark's book. Right. They were just, it was completely unsubtle. And I think I I had come to expect a little bit more just a little bit more from it. Were you and I at, at an event once where she spoke? Yes. Like a HarperCollins blogger? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. I don't know. Or were you at the, I, I'd seen her a couple of times. Once there was like a lunch that they actually had at HarperCollins where she came in, she was talking about her book. I believe she may have been an actress and she definitely does. Like when you listen to the audiobooks, she does the audio. And I think she reads audio for other people as well. Like she's really good in terms of, delivering the audio. So maybe I should have listened to it. I think that's the same event that I'm thinking of. All right. So that's what I have been reading. I just started listening to this book called Hedge by... Oh, how is it? By Jane Delory. I'm not that far in. Like we're just kind of getting the basic setup that her relationship with her husband hasn't been working out. She's hoping for a separation. So she gets invited to, to bring this English garden back to life. Like she's an archivist. So she studies, you know, the history of plants and where they came from and where they were grown on estate. So she's spending a lot of time sourcing all of this when she meets someone who is in the same field and they kind of have a relationship with each other. You know, it's supposed to build up to, you know, that, that something that happens that changes everything moment, which may or may not have to do with how her children are handling her new relationship. So I don't know. So far, so good. Good. I've seen that book around. Have you been giving it the eye? Yeah. It's just look at what good. Did you tell us what you're reading now? No, because I'm just finishing Oh, beautiful. So I'm like 
in between books. Oh, no, that's not true. I just started a book. It's called The One by Julia Argie. And it is like supposedly a literary fiction-ish version of back behind the scenes of The Bachelor. Oh, a literary fiction version? Yeah, like it's, like it's, I mean, it's not, (laughs) I don't know about literary fiction, but it's not, I I don't know. I'm like 10 pages in, so I, I can't really, but it is written by someone who is on, who's a contestant on The Bachelor. That kind of sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, you'll have to keep us posted. So I'm excited about this next little piece of our show because Gail is going to give us a behind the scenes look at this project that she's been working on. You know, she's, I think she came on a couple of months ago and was talking about, you know, just thinking about starting a bookstore. So she is going to give us a little update. Yeah. So I did mention on the show a couple months ago that I was kind of flirting with the idea of opening a bookstore. So I just wanted to give a little status update on that because I have been quiet about it ever since then. And, you know, I'm excited to report that it is definitely more serious. I have a partner who is very committed to this as am I, and we both really want to make it happen. We have focused on a particular neighborhood and area outside DC. There's no bookstore there. There was a bookstore there. The bookstore is gone. Then there was an Amazon bookstore. That store is gone. So it's a very kind of vibrant area with no independent bookstore. So we are in very actively trying to find a location, which is you know, probably the most challenging thing because the location has to be exactly right. It has to be the right size, has to feel like the right layout. It has to have the right foot traffic. It has to be, you know, somewhat accessible by parking. And that's just a tough combination to find. So we have a a realtor, we have looked at lots of places. And the goal is that once the perfect place or the close to perfect place presents itself, we'll be ready to go. The second piece, of course, is financing, which is no small feat. And so we're sort of figuring out our, how we're going to pay for this and you know what sources that money will come from. We'll probably do some sort of Kickstarter, like crowdfunding campaign at some point soon. Well, I don't know how soon. Depends on when this, you know, when all this falls into place. But at some point we'll do a Kickstarter type campaign, which I'll I'll mention here on the show and if anyone feels so inclined to, you know, support a, a new store, we would be extremely appreciative. We're also trying to figure out like, you know, what can we offer people who do contribute? Like, is there going to be, you know, some kind of a like patron level or some sort of a benefactor level? So we're working out all those details too. I went and shadowed a bookstore in outside of Boston for a couple of days last month, which was really fun. And just saw like, what's it like to be a bookseller? Like, is it, you know, is it tedious? Is it exciting? Is it extremely stressful? Answer is kind of a little bit of all of the above, but I really, (laughs) it didn't deter me. Like I found it really like invigorating and exciting to see what it's like and, you know, how you replenish books. The the store that I was at over the weekend, they'd had their biggest sale sales weekend ever. They'd only been open for a year and it was a combination of Mother's Day and they also had mm-hmm. a book signing in the store that was very well attended. So as a result, like the store was the inventory was really low because so many books had been bought. Ooh, that's so exciting. we had to Yeah. So we went through the process on like a Monday morning of replenishing the inventory. You know, ordering all the books that had been sold so that they were back in the store. And then the next day the books showed up. So it, then we had to, you know, unpack them and stock them, shelve them again, scan everything in. So I have uh, a question. Yeah. If they get low on inventory, like are some of the considerations in replenishing it, how quickly that title has sold? Yes. I mean, do they look at something and say, okay, we probably only need to get a couple more because, you know, yes. we sell one every few months or something like that. Right. So the store that I was at uses one particular inventory system. There are several for bookstores. The one that she uses, like the screen will pop up and so the title will pop up and you'll see, you know, how many are in the store. And if there's like, let's say there's one in the store, like how long has it been on the shelf? Like you can see when it was ordered and you can see when it was last purchased. So 
you know, some titles, you only need one because it's, it only sells every six months. And then some titles are very popular. So you, you see, okay, well, we have three, but we just sold five. So we should order another five. So it's, you know, it's a very sort of individual process for each title to decide. Because you don't want a whole bunch of inventory. That's just, You don't want to order, you know, four copies of a book that's just going to sit there. But right. you, want, you might want one because someone might come in and do it. So it's not it's not like a science. It's more of an art. And I was just watching the woman who owns the store. I was just watching her do it. I mean, she was flying through it because she knows how to do it. And she says, like, oh, she just wakes up and does it from home before she even comes to work. She just, you know, looks at what sold the day before and then replenishes. And so if you order from – there's two different ways to get books into a bookstore. You can order from a large, like, wholesaler – that's like a middleman called Ingram and Ingram stocks all of the titles. It stocks all the publishers, or you can do individual orders from the individual publishers. And, you know, there's been so much consolidation in the book publishing world that like, for example, Penguin Random House, that's like half the titles there are. So if you decided you, you, you could do just Penguin Random House and then also do Ingram for the rest of the books you get a slightly better deal if you order direct from the publisher than you do if you order through Ingram. So there's an incentive to order straight from the publisher, but on the other hand, it's much more convenient to order them all from one source. And then all the, you know, the shipment all comes in at the same time. So you, I, I've, I follow a lot of bookstores. I'm on in some like bookstore Facebook groups and kind of learning. And it seems like people who are just starting out will rely on Ingram just because it's so much easier. And then as they get more comfortable with the whole process, they might expand out and start doing more direct ordering from publishers. But that's like the job. It's like basically inventory, inventory control and display science. Like where do you put books? How do you keep displays fresh? So you're, you know, displaying like seasonal stuff. So the day I was there, they took down all the Mother's Day books and put out the Father's Day books mm-hmm. because it was the day after Mother's Day. And there was also graduation. So we did like a little display of books that are appropriate for graduates, you know, people graduating from college or high school. Those inspirational books. Yeah, like the places you'll go type books. And then, of course, there's the non-book stuff. Those are called sidelines. So, And those are like where bookstores can make more money because the margins are better on selling pretty stationary and candles than they are in selling books. Yep. Such a sucker for that. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I was like watching them, like, what do they buy? What sells? I was asking a million questions. They have a really big kids section. So which toys are selling, which are not, I don't know. It's fascinating. So I, you know, I'm really hoping this will happen. I am planning on it and we have an LLC, we have a name. I mean, I'll save all that stuff for when it's official, you know, like the the groundwork is there and really the location will determine so much because then we can start actually designing it and planning it. And also we'll know exactly how much we're paying in rent, which will help us figure out exactly how much money we need to borrow and how much we need to raise and all that. But without knowing what the rent is, I mean, we have a general idea of what rents are, but we don't know exactly what size we're going to end up in and all of that. Now you said that there was a bookstore there before. Yeah. Or in the neighborhood before, were they both on the same location? The two stores that were there before, the Amazon bookstore and then the other one, they were very close by, but I'm trying to remember if they overlapped. It is possible that they did not overlap. It, I think that the the book the big bookstore was gone at the time the Amazon came in. So, I mean, there may have been very minimal overlap between the two stores. Okay, and but it, that site is not maybe wasn't even successful as a bookstore. Well, actually both stores were apparently successful. Like I don't think they left because they were losing money or they weren't doing well. I think that the landlord raised the rent and I think that they chose a different, they just wanted different. Well, I don't know about the Amazon store. I think Amazon closed its brick and mortar bookstores. I think that was a big experiment for Amazon. I don't know if you ever went in one of those. Yeah, I did. I mean, super random. Really not very, I, I don't know. I, it's totally not my type of bookstore. Like it was completely yeah, it was algorithm. By, completely determined by algorithm. And yeah, it was algorithm based. So it would be like, you know, these are the 10 best books that are selling. It was just, or just like really specific stuff that is just, yeah, there was no art to it. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, there's no art to it at all. I found it completely unsatisfying. I mean, if there was an absolute bestseller that I needed to buy, I could get it there. But frankly, I used that store to return Amazon packages. <laughs> it was like, right. that, that was the point of that store. The other store is, you know, the big box store, which is, you know, also algorithm based, apparently, even despite they're trying to become more independent and, you know, act more like an indie. So our goal is to be Oh, so this wasn't like, it wasn't like a mom and pop bookstore was there. No. It was like Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, it sounds like. Yeah. I'm trying to be a little coy on the location because I don't want, I don't want any. You don't want to be scooped. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, it was like a really successful store. I mean, I hate that store. I hated it. I didn't, I, I personally, it was just not my type of bookstore at all, but it was very, it was a successful store and people miss it. But like. Anytime we tell people we're thinking about opening a bookstore in that location, everyone's just like, thank God, like we've been without a store now for like five years. So our goal is to be very community focused, community responsive, you know, be a store that reflects the tastes and needs and desires of the people who shop there. So if people come in and say, hey, we want you to stock more of X, then we'll stock more of X. Like it'll, you know, it'll be very personal and very much a a store that reflects the community's tastes and also one that hopefully builds relationships with other small businesses in the neighborhood and can be, you know, part of that, you know, the business community. So that's the goal. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to come back on the show and provide regular updates. Like I just, I'm hoping that like some, (laughs) this location will just fall in our lap and we're trying, we're trying actively to find it. It's just, you just never know what, might vacancy might pop up. Right. Well, thank you so much for that update. So exciting. I'm so excited. Thank you. So I'm excited too. I mean, it's, I don't want to get too excited because I'm just like, Oh, I don't know if, you know, am I going to jinx it? Is it not going to happen? But I'm really hoping that it does. All right. So next up our spoilery discussions. Yes. Okay. So we have three books that we can talk about. Let's start off with Rebecca Mackay, because this was interesting. I said to you this morning, I was like, we announced a book club book. and I don't think we ever discussed it. And I think it was because we were both kind of underwhelmed a little bit. Yeah. We just didn't think about it anymore. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So that book is, I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay, which is her book that came out in the beginning of the year. And it is about, a woman who went to boarding school and while she was in boarding school, her roommate was killed and there was a man who was tried for the murder and convicted and imprisoned and is still imprisoned when the book opens. And she is now in her forties and has come back to campus to teach a course on podcasting because she is a podcaster herself. She's a true crime podcaster and she's come back and she's teaching this shortened winter semester to students. A mini master. A mini master. And while she's there, the students, one of the students elects to reopen that case and revisit the true crime, you know, in a serial esque type podcast, revisit what happened and see, you know, what new evidence might come up. So that's the premise of the book. And now we'll have our spoilery discussion of this book. So tell me what you thought of it. So I listened to it on audio. I think I did a combination, listened to to it on audio, read a little bit of it. I think it was, I enjoyed it because I listened to the audio and this was not just a red one. I think they had a couple of different character voices. So it was much more like watching a show. And I think that made it, you know, it was, it was okay. It was like interesting to listen to as I was walking around or whatever reading it. I didn't get, uh, I I don't know. This seems to have been a a departure for her in some ways. I mean, this mirrors her life really closely. I think it's an interesting thing. And so I kind of wonder about the amount of research she did into it. Like the book kind of seemed like it was trying to make the point about, you know, the place of true crime in our lives. And it's like playing around with tropes on 
who it is that who's usually done it, you know, it's like the husband or the boyfriend. So I don't know. I mean, it just wasn't that memorable. Yeah. I agree with that. I thought that she also just tried to do too much here. Like she had, there were multiple like subplots going on. You had all the flashbacks to her life at this boarding school and feeling like an outsider and not belonging with these kind of rich kids. There were some comments about, you know, the way women were treated in the nineties and things that in the nineties that happened that really wouldn't be okay today. Well, they weren't okay then, but they just weren't called out. Then you have the mystery. <laughs> then you have a whole subplot on harassment claims against her husband, her sort of estranged husband back in LA, which is where she lives the mystery of what happened to Dahlia. Then there's like some red herrings that like, I don't know how much to give away in this part, but there's some red herrings, some well, potential we're in the part. I mean, okay. So if you've read the book, it there's, you know, this, she's sort of talking in the second person to this professor who she, whom she believes had an inappropriate relationship with Dahlia. But in the end, she doesn't actually think he did anything to her, but yet she's still holding him accountable for the way he treated Thalia over the years. It just, I don't know. There was like a lot of rabbit holes going on and it's just, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love it compared to the great believers, which I just thought was such a beautiful book. And so just compelling. This one did not seem that way to me. And I wonder if there's a difference when, like, this is close to her life. I think she teaches at a school. So it was something that was familiar to her in, in terms of, like, the boarding school aspect and certain things. And I wonder if maybe you have to be even more vigilant when you think you know a topic. Because I feel like her last book was probably so well. I mean, not only had she thought about it, but she had probably done a lot more research on it. Yeah. And was able to bring that to life in a way that this is like a lot of personal observations. Like you said, it seems like it was all over the place. The story wasn't focused. And I think part of that was to kind of inform, like, this is what goes on in normal life. But, you know, books kind of, you do need to focus. Like we can't, yes, we're all dealing with a bunch of different things. So you could have a husband who, you know, has been accused of sec sexual harassment. And, you know, you're thinking about the politics of that. How old was this girl? Was that really harassment? You know, how you might stand up for it in other places. But now that it's in your family, it's like there is a different, there's a different bar to what you're considering harassment. You know, there's her own kind of love life, like her and her husband are separated and she's, you know, quote unquote, having an affair, but it's kind of condoned or they've just like, they split houses. Like there's just a lot going on that in a book, you do need to be a little bit more focused. I think, you know, there was this whole mystery at the boarding school aspect, past and present, present element. And I think that was enough. I mean, I think you could have lightly gone into some of these things as things she was dealing with, but there was like a lot of airtime spent on a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I know this was like a huge book this year. I just didn't think it was, I don't think it lived up to the expectations. I also did this one on audio. Julia Whalen is the narrator. And I thought the audio was good. I agree with you. Yeah. I think that that is what made it as entertaining as it was, but it was one of those books that I felt like if I were reading this, I'm not sure how long. You would have stuck it up. Yeah. It would have held my attention if it would have held my attention in the same way. But yeah. it was like kind of the perfect book. Like I remember listening to it as I was, you know, going back and forth to the gym or wherever, like running errands around town. And it was, you know, always just good to, to tune into for a little bit. But yeah. Okay. So next up, Counterfeit. Counterfeit. Okay. I read Counterfeit last fall. So it's been a little while for me. Kristen Chen, right? Yes. All right. You want to give a summary? Counterfeit is about two women, two Asian American women who knew each other in college. They both take very different paths. You know, one is like 
really straight laced, rule abiding. She goes to law school. She has like the perfect family. You know, she has her husband and she has a young son and, but she's kind of at a crossroads. Like she hasn't gone back to work. She doesn't really want to go back to work. Doesn't really want to be a lawyer. And then, so her name is Ava and she crosses path with a roommate that she had not for a particularly long time in college. Like she may have roomed with her one semester and her name is Winnie. And so they meet again when Ava is just kind of like loose and at these crossroads roads, doesn't know what to do with herself. Like, you know, struggling to find daycare or not daycare, but a school for her son who has these emotional outbursts and that they, you know, she really can't control and doesn't know what to do with. So she meets Winnie and Winnie, you know, they go to lunch and they catch up and she slowly gets involved in Winnie's world, which is basically counterfeiting these really high end bags, like, you know, the Birkin bags and Gucci and just like all of the bags that you would want, you know, the high end bags, making like really, really good knockoffs of them. And as the story begins, you already know that Ava is talking to a police officer. So her role in this whole scheme has been, has been discovered. And, you know, it's more just kind of like we get the story unfolding as she talks to the police. Right. So from here on out, it will be a spoiler filled conversation. So did this jog your memory? Yeah, I liked this book. This I did also did this one on audio and I just thought it was really fun and interesting and you have two things going on. You've got this kind of you know, underworld sort of counterfeit bag trade thing which was kind of interesting to me. I didn't know anything about it. I had to look up these bags when they would talk about, you know, this is a $12,000 bag and this one's an $18,000 bag. And I'm like, what did they look like? Like, I'm just, this is not my world at all. So I thought that was interesting. And then you also have the relationship between, and I'm going to get the names wrong. What's the name of the one who went to the, the one who's not, you know, who's got the son and Ava. Ava. And then the other one is, I forgot her name. Winnie. Winnie. So you've got the relationship between Ava and Winnie. You've got the past and the future, the past and the present kind of coming together and this sort of like complicated, like interplay. You've got the transformation of Winnie from this student who, you know, doesn't fit in and disappears to this very successful but shady person. And, you know, the kind of the character study of how Ava gets sucked into this and, and kind of abandons all like, like ignores all the red flags and does everything that she really shouldn't do. And, and then just the resolution. I thought, I thought it was a good book. Well, there was a major plot twist when you find out that they are in on it together and that Ava has gone to the police on purpose in order to divert attention to like minimize jail time. You know, Winnie has gone off to China to have plastic surgery and hide out. (laughs) Right. Which I was not expecting at all. Right. I was expecting it kind of set it up where it could have been a little bit of a he said, she said. Yeah. Or she said, she said, where it's just like, you know, Ava is saying she's the one who's manipulating, who has been manipulated. And then Winnie is recovering from her plastic surgery. She's like seeing these shady dudes on the street, wondering if anyone is going to find her. And so in those in those moments, she kind of paints Ava as the one who has been ruthless and the one who's really pushed the business to go in, in ways that they had not expected it. But you find out later on that it's, you know, she might be saying these things, but there is admiration there you know, that they built these things together. And right. it's, and it's an avenue that they're going to continue down because the book ends with them meeting, I believe, in Maine as Winnie bought a house or... Somewhere, Portland. Mm, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Right. Where she's sort of starting over with a new, a new scheme. (laughs) Right. But Um, you would, but the two of them are never, they never really become friends. Like they're not, it's a very uneasy relationship between the two of them. They're not, you you can't say like it's a true partnership. There's, there's mistrust between them and kind of power imbalance between them the whole time. I feel like. I don't know. I mean, I felt like, 
the way they scheme together, like when Ava just says she can't leave and she, you know, can't leave her son and she decides that she's going to go to the cops and weave this story while Winnie is able to do these things and recover. It could be uneasy, but I think there's enough mutual respect. And I think by the end, they really embrace and are looking forward to their next adventure. You know, Ava's husband turned out to be not the one, you know, for her. And by the end of the novel, she's left him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I guess I got friendlier vibes from them. And I think a lot of what they were saying about each other was a con. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was good. I don't I don't remember all the details the way you do just because it's been a while, but I did. I did really enjoy it. It's a great summer read, I think. I think so. Yeah. All right. So last spoilery conversation. Hello, beautiful. Why don't you start with this one? Hello, beautiful. I don't know. Maybe you should start. <laughs> okay. I'm going to with it. come in a little hot on this one. Ooh. So, yeah. I mean, I'll start with the positive. This is a very <laughs> compelling story. Like, it is... It's a it's a really interesting story about these four sisters. And there's, you know, secrets and betrayals and, you know, disowning and people kind of doing their own things. Yet there's lots of love among these four sisters. And, you know, she she tells a good story. Like I, you know, you get kind of sucked in. I thought it had a very slow start. I, I, I picked this book up and put it down a couple of times before I really got into it. So this the start is slow. And then, and then you, you know, you start to get into it. You want to know what happens and you want to know, are Sylvie and William going to get together? And is Julia going to ever find out? And, you know, there's, there's lots of, there's lots to keep you engaged. My main issue with this is how incredibly repetitive it was. Like this book was badly in need of an editor or (laughs) a, a more active editor. Like she repeated herself over and over and over again, constantly like reiterating the same things about this family. And, you know, when they say like show, don't tell, this is all tell. This book is literally all tell. It's very character driven. Not a whole lot happens. And she just says over and over again, even in the same paragraph. I mean, I was, did I did this one mostly on audio and like there were times I like wanted to throw my phone across the room. Cause I was like, you just said that. You just said that. This is so funny because I think I thought of you as I was reading this, how it was just like, I really, I did enjoy the story. Like I enjoyed the characterizations and the relationships and things like that. But I was just like, they are telling us everything. She's telling us everything. Everything. Literally everything. Like there's nothing in here that is not analyzed, repeated, underscored. I just, I'm just like, why? do you think we're not going to figure this out? Like it just, it, it really kind of made me mad because I feel like the book could have been a hundred pages shorter and much better if you just cut out the constant analysis. I mean, I'm at the very, very end. I have like, like five pages left. So to be fair, something very dramatic might happen in the last five pages, but I don't think so because like, I just, I don't know. (laughs) And, and yet, Despite all that analysis and how it length and detail, some of the relationships are pretty superficial. Like they're like, there's not a lot of, of nuance or like subtlety or, you know, like Sylvie and William never once had a fight or just completely compatible. The way Julia just comes right back into Sylvie's life makes one sentence that says you should apologize to me for marrying my Mm ex-husband. And then, Sylvie's like, I'm sorry. And then they just move on. Like it never happened. Well, she is dying at that point. She's dying, but like they can have a conversation. Like Julia can say, I've held this anger for a long time. And Sylvie can say, I understand. And I just, you know, I haven't gotten to the, like the, I'm, the last couple of pages I'm sure are like some sort of a reconciliation between William and Alice. But like, even that I'm like, she's now been in his presence for like 12 hours and they have not had a conversation yet. And I get it. Like Sylvie just died. Like, Rose walks back into their life as if nothing happened and they just are, and they're all okay with that. They're like, we're just going to pretend we're just going to go along with that because that's how she needs to be like for all of the 400 pages of description. Like in the end, everything was very pat and it was like, 
it just, I don't know. I, it made me mad. Well, I do think that that was true to the book that she wanted to write because I mean, I think obviously she's heard of show, not tell. Yes. And you know, why she, you know, chose this and why everyone let her go along with it this way. It's almost, I want to say it's like fable, like, you know, Mm-hmm. The characters and the roles that they played, like super simplified like that. And just almost so much, I could almost see the way nothing is really addressed because the entire book is just about how close that th- these sisters are and just how, I guess, they respond to each other in terms of having grown up as one organism or whatever, and just kind of think like that. And for that, I do agree with you, like in terms of maybe not towards the end, because I could see, you know, she's clearly not got much time to live. So why get into an argument or do whatever about it now? You've already been separated all of these years. So that's kind of enough. But just the fact that more is not made, it's just like when Sylvie gets with William, it's sort of something that she has something that she has to do because he sees her they see each other what's missing the incompleteness and they can be satisfied with that whereas her sisters are always pushing but at the same time like that's such a big rift to just not you know really never have them explore while Sylvie's living while William's living you know that it just lets them sit so contently in that yeah, well, you know, it's not good for me to be a father, so I won't. And people are just like, yeah, well, that's just William. <laughs> right. Right. That's just William. I, yeah. So I don't know. You know, this was a 14-hour investment on audio. And, like, I think I feel, like, deeply involved with this book. And maybe that's why I'm so frustrated, because I feel like this has been a huge investment of time. And, like the repetition is just, it's just so stark to me. When I think about it too, though, I do think in terms of when I think about little women, cause I reread that as an adult, cause it was a book that I loved growing up and it was really, <laughs> I want to say it was really preachy and repetitive hmm. and just all of these things that I would have never thought, you know, like, you know, we delivered our Christmas dinner and Marmy says that that was a good thing to do. And that's how you, you know, it's very blatant, you know? Right. So I guess in that respect, I feel like, like I say, fable, like a little bit fairy tale, like a little bit, just like the delivery of, you know, Sylvie was never really accepted in her family and she found someone who did, and they were just like really happy together and had no conflict whatsoever until something forces them back into each other's lives. But, you know, each piece takes so long to get to. I will agree with you on that. Yeah. But it's another one, like you said, at the, you know, top of when we started talking about this, you know, why don't you explain this one for us? And it's just like, "Mm, you can do it because I didn't really remember like for such a big time investment. And I really was curious about this family and involved in this relationship or whatever. When you say hello, beautiful to me, I can't tell you what it's about. Like, I literally was just like, wait, what was that about? Oh, interesting. See, I feel like I'll remember this one just because of it's been hammered into my head. <laughs> right. Just, yeah, I don't know. Here's another thing, too. Doesn't this book feel super old fashioned? Well, yeah, that's kind of my point with it being a lot like. I, it doesn't exactly follow this, the tone of Little Women. Of, they actually, you know, are kind of really cute about it and reference the book. Yeah. And, you know, the sisters being aware of the book and which character. And, you know, there's this big thing about who's Beth, you know. Is it the youngest? But no, because I don't do this and I don't do that. But it's um, I would just wonder if it was on purpose. It seems it seemed like that was one of the ways that it was really a lot like Little Women. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that was intentional. But like, it was also hard when they were talking about the 80s and the 90s. And I mean, Sylvie dies in 2008. 
And it still feels like these people are communicating by postcards and long distance phone calls as opposed to, I mean, she'll mention like, oh, I texted or whatever, but it doesn't, it feels like this book could have been set 30 years earlier and it wouldn't have been off. Well, some of it, I just wonder if it's intentional in the way that, you know, then the author doesn't have to deal with, I mean, she purposely sets it up so she's not really dealing with technology. When you think about yeah. even how Julia interacts with her daughter, you know, they always talk on the phone and, you know, it's right. not a lot in the form of text messaging until, you know, they have this rift when the daughter finds out that her father is indeed alive and not dead the way her mom told her. Then you have Julia just texting her and texting her and her daughter not responding. But right. it did seem right. like a very controlled way to keep it old fashioned and to keep technology out of the story to make, you know, to make these choices where it's almost like she can't be connected to her family in a modern way. And it, everything has to be either by telephone or. Right. Like, There's a lot of estrangement cards. going on. Right. It's estrangement and enforced distance, very intentional distance. And like, if right. Like you don't want Alice to be able to connect with her cousin Izzy on Instagram because you need them to meet for the first time at Sylvie's and be Insta death. Insta cousins, in, Insta yeah. close cousins. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's just, well, some of those things like really strain, you know, the fact that the daughter, you know, you have, your mom has another family out there and you're just, I am just not curious at all. Who cares? She left them. And she's looking up her, her aunt's artwork. And just making no effort to get out, which was just to be in touch, which I don't know. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It's, it was a flawed book. It was enough good about it, but oddly (laughs) compelling. I was just going to say there's enough about it. This will probably be a four-star book for me because there was enough about it that kept me reading. It just, I also was like a little frustrated as I was reading, as you can tell by my (laughs) saltiness. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that's three books that we both read. That's that's a feat for us. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lots to lots to talk about. All right. Well, that's our show. Update on the store. Th- a, a triple book club, and what we're reading. That that's pretty good. I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back in two weeks for more discussion about books and the bookstore progress and the book industry and what, maybe whatever we've gotten to from our summer reading list. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx us, Gail. <laughs> right. So until next time, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.